Hey everybody, welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people who matter. John Horner Eibler, your host for this particular episode, joined by three uh, wonderful people who were a part of Mission of Healing 2023 uh, this past February. This is the third of three episodes uh, that take kind of a deeper dive into what Mission of Healing is. Uh, the people who are a part of it, both uh, from the United States and uh, from El Salvador. So this week, or for this particular podcast, I'm joined by Mary Ayersman, Greg Buck, Erica Typelup, each of whom uh, came to this trip in unique and different ways, and each of whom uh, really blessed our group um, this past February uh, with both their presence and the, and the work they did with Mission of Healing. Uh, if you've not listened to the two previous podcasts, Mission of Healing is a mix of um, over the years, uh, medical care and education, which we do in coordination with the Salvadorian Lutheran Synod. And it's a great partnership uh, between uh, you know United States churches and uh, El Salvador churches. And it's also a partnership between uh, churches here in the United States, uh, something that uh, Unity Lutheran has participated in with a number of congregations in Southeast Wisconsin and also with the congregation and uh, good folks from uh, the wonderful neighboring state of Minnesota, which gets me to Mary Ayersman. Mary uh, has been a part of this group. We were talking before we started recording since 2014, Mary. And so you're, you're not a Wisconsinite, and, and yet you're one of the most experienced people on this trip. How about if you get us started by telling us a little bit about how that connection got made and... Um, why you came and why you've kept coming over the years. Well, thank you. Um, I came because of my good friend, Amy Spomer, who is a, a, a member at the Diana Community Lutheran Church, who also has a partnership, a sister church in El Salvador. And she knew that I had lived in Central America, that I really enjoyed the culture and that I speak Spanish. So she said, why don't you come with me? And I did. And it's been just a delight. Um, every year is different, and some things are the same. I am a nurse practitioner by um, profession and mostly work in a specialized area with um, cancer patients, but I've also done primary care. And so I still felt comfortable going down and doing what we do in our, in our clinics because it's essentially talking with people and trying to figure out what's been going on with them and, and help where we can. Um, uh, uh, tell, I think people would be interested in, you briefly mentioned uh, having lived in Central America. Uh, what country was that? And uh, uh, how have you managed to keep your Spanish fluent between then and now? So I was in the Peace Corps and I taught nursing in Honduras, somewhat. It's pretty limited um, nursing experience, but um, I, I did do that. And then this is back in the 80s, so it's a long, long time ago. Um, and then I lived in Guatemala for another couple of years and I ran a small export business for my former Peace Corps volunteer friends who hadn't quite got back into the nine to five job yet. So I was their buyer for handmade goods and I would ship them to the United States. 
Um, I worked in a small community clinic that was for um, undocumented workers. So it was a community clinic grant funded. I did that for about two and a half, three years, all Spanish speaking. So that was good for my Spanish. And then I um, take classes as well to try to keep keep talking. And I try to use my Spanish wherever I can. Wow. Yeah, thanks. I, I think, at least to me, I'm always interested in how people acquire different languages and then how you maintain them, which to me is is a big challenge. So, um, hey, Erica, we'll go to you next. Uh, boy, I think in a six-month period there, you were in El Salvador twice on two of our trips, our relationship trip to our partner communities in August and then on Mission of Healing in February. Uh, those are fairly different trips. What interested you about each of them and how did they feel the same and how did they feel different to you? Uh, well, I, so I've been a member of unity for all of my life that I can remember. Um, and I've been hearing about the El Salvador trip for as long. So I knew that that was always something that I wanted to go and do. Um, and about, a year ago, August of 2022, that's when I first had the time and, um, and I think just the ability to go and do that trip. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily uh, the type of trip that drew me to that one specifically. I just wanted to go. Um, so our the August trip, the relationship building trip is truly just that. We go to the... Um, to all of our partners in the area, to all of our friends, and we just hang out for a week. We play games and we worship together and we talk to each other as much as possible with the help of our lovely translators. Um, and, uh, and we just I, have a blast for a week. So I think that trip was, that trip was super, super fun just because I got to meet a lot of the people um, who I'd been hearing about for my whole life. And uh, I really enjoyed myself, even though I speak little to none Spanish, um, I still had just the best time. Um, and then I wanted to go on the uh, Mission of Healing trip because, I mean, I recently graduated from college and I wanted to go into the medical field and I really thought that it would be such a unique experience to go and do medical work in such a different area of the world with such different people who have much different expectations. Um, and that was what drew me to it. And I had just the most fun when we were there because uh, we went to a bunch of different communities and set up uh, um, every day to do basically the same type of kind of family practice type of work that you see in the United States, um, except on a much larger scale and much faster. Um, but it was just really lovely to see the endless patience and uh, appreciation that all the people had for us who were there. Um, and I really enjoyed seeing all the people that I had seen on my first trip and getting to further make friends and to grow friendships and stuff, uh, as well as do some a really good work. So I, I just had the best time. I will definitely be going back. <laughs> um, and I'm really glad that I got to, I got to do that. 
Yeah, I, and I happened to be on both of those trips as well. Uh, how, how many pounds of corn did you find yourself carrying in, in August, Erica? And do you want to well, briefly I, explain I, that? Sure. Well, I feel like it's a fisherman's story because each time the bag gets heavier. Um, yeah, but sure. from my current memory, I believe it was 80 pounds. Um <laughs> But we were out in Rutilio Grande, which is uh, the rural farming community, um, and they asked us to help go and pick corn for a big party that we were going to be having the next day, or maybe it was that night. I guess I'm not entirely sure how the days worked out. Regardless, um, we all went and brought a horse and picked three big um, potato sacks full of corn, and I think we all thought that we were going to be strapping these bags to the horse and the horse would carry all of this back. Um, it did not. <laughs> the horse just was along for the ride. Um, and so we all took turns carrying the bags of corn <laughs> all the way back to town, which I think was like a mile, maybe two miles. Um, yeah. Oh, it was three <laughs> miles, Erica, and the bag was way over a hundred pounds. It was a marathon. <laughs> Through the jungle. <laughs> the tradition has to grow. All I know is that Erica <laughs> and I were splitting a bag, and I'm pretty sure Erica carried it way farther than I did. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for helping me out, Erica. Hey, Greg, Anytime. getting back to Mission of Healing, which is where we should probably be focusing. But um, So you have, have been on the trip a number of times in a number of roles. Uh, in recent years, you've uh, tended to be one of the last people that – uh, someone who comes to a uh, mission of healing sees because they're coming to the pharmacy area, uh, not always last, but frequently last. Uh, tell us about your uh, role on the trip and um, what you enjoy about it. Uh, yeah, thanks, John. Um, so I'm a, a, a retired primary care physician for adults. Um, initially, I was a a provider. Uh, and so I would see the people, they, they check in at registration, get into the uh, medical area pretty quickly and see one of the nurses who, who will tend to, you know, find out what their medical issues are, what medications they might be taking, do some, you know, a, a quick check of their blood pressure and whatnot. And then they get them into the medical provider who then, you know, ask further questions and then we'll kind of help decide on, you know, any kind of medications that we may want to give to them. Um, so initially we had, uh, you know, pharmacists with us the first couple of years that I went. And then after that, we couldn't recruit a pharmacist. And, you know, being a primary care physician, I tend to know, you know, most of the medications that we're using and why we're using them and whatnot. And I said, well, I'll go ahead and be the, the, the pharmacist. You know, we, we had enough other primary care or enough providers, including Mary and Mike and, and whatnot. And so I, I didn't need to, to play that role. So I, uh, you know, work with in the pharmacy and you know i've got a marvelous person debbie who actually who's actually the star of the clinic i just sort of i just hang in there you know i do i do what debbie tells me to do but um when they get to me they have a you know paper uh, you know lunch bag of medications and i i you know i feel it's it's my role at that point to not only just give them the medicine and, and tell them how to take it and i've learned enough spanish that i can tell them how to take one pill twice a day as needed for pain, you know, so I can do that in Spanish, but uh, they really need, like everybody, like everybody here in the United States, they need explanation of 
why they're taking the medication, what their medical issue is. And in, in, in normal, you know, human, uh, you know, Spanish or English, you know, terms, not medical terms, but, you know, they're low in their local language. Um, and with the help of an interpreter, you know, I, I would sit there and, and try to explain to them what is hypertension? You know, what, what are we actually measuring? Why is it an issue? What's important there? What's diabetes? You know, what, you know, everybody says I got sugar. Well, what does that mean? So I, you know, it was, it kind of was ended up being my role to really try to explain to them why they're, why, why we are encouraging them to take these medications and how that they're going to help them and answer any questions that they may have. So I think it, it's, you know, and, and, and that kind of got me back to my role of what I was doing as a primary physician, uh, physician for my entire career. And I really enjoyed this part of it because I get to sit there and chat with them. And, and I, you know, over the years, I've seen a number of people repeatedly and, and, you know, we talk about their health and how they've been doing and what they've been doing to change things. So I think it's, to me, it's really, you know, inspiring to, to be able to explain to them in their own terms, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and, and what they can do to, to help themselves. So it's, it's very, it's, 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 it's very rewarding for me. That is a remarkable thing. How many people we end up seeing on a repeat basis uh, over the years because the clinic uh, does move from community to community. So we aren't always in the same communities, but we usually are in one or two communities that are the same from a previous year. And I, th I think really builds a, a sense of connection and mutual appreciation over time. Um, Greg, what, how about if you take us a little bit in the direction of of the work that uh, in in the in the the previous podcast we have talked about kind of the logistics of getting the trip out of town and and the plans we make for it. Uh, I think people would be interested in kind of the any personal preparation you do for the trip um, or how you kind of uh, unpack from it when you get back. Um, so personal preparation, you know, I've kind of got, having been there a number of times, I've got in my head just what I need from a clothing standpoint and personal supplies, uh, water bottles, um, you know, as you've encouraged us before, don't bring your raincoat because you're not going to need it. Uh, but, um, you know, try, I try to get the supplies that I need. It's hot, hotter than blazes there during the day, cools off at night. So you, you kind of learn what you need to take. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty healthy person. I exercise regularly, I try to eat properly. So I feel like I'm in good medical condition, even though my hair is very gray that I can, uh, kind of, uh, manage, you know, while we're there, it is, it is hot. It, it requires that you drink lots of fluids and try to not overexert yourself and keep in the shade if you can. So I, I think I, I, I'm pretty well able to prepare ahead of time. As far as we know, when we're the group, I, I, I try to, you know, for the particularly for the new people, I try to help them, you know, answer their questions about what's what's going to be happening there, what it's what it's like to be in El Salvador. It's it's certainly much different. It's, uh, you know, it's very eye opening when you're there just to see the 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 crowds, the 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 level of you know poverty, the 
the um, the electrical wiring that's everywhere, which is fascinating. Um, so I, you know, I, I think I've been able to to prepare, uh, you know, each each a little bit better each year. As far as when I come home, um, it, it is tiring. You know, we're we're busy. We get up at six in the morning and we go um, pretty pretty fast. It's it's a lot of fun, but we go pretty fast while we're you know getting ready to go getting on the bus, setting up, running the clinic, taking down, getting back, eating supper, or doing our, our, our breakdown in the evening or, you know, our group discussion. So there, <clears throat> there's not a whole lot of free time to relax, but it's, it's fun time, but you're busy. So when I come back, um, I am pretty, I'm tired, you know, mentally tired, somewhat physically uh, but my my wife Kathy is the same because she has to listen to me jabber on for days and days about how much fun this and that that happened. It's just it's it's a whole lot of fun to be there, and there's just so many things that you want to tell people about. So she puts up with me. She's you know kind of nods and you know smiles and whatnot, and then I think she's grateful when I finally settle down after about four or five days. Well, that's your recruiting. Uh way of getting Kathy to come on the trip at some point. <laughs> it's it's going to work. We know it's going to work. Okay. <laughs> um, so Barry, actually I have a question about uh, kind of nuance of, of some of the uh, conversations you're a part of, but I guess uh, as long as Greg opened that door on coming back, I guess I'd ask you too. I, I am always kind of intrigued how, how the Minnesota part of the contingent processes it if at all because when we come back you know we see each other in church the next week or the week after and so we can trade stories a little bit you don't quite have that same thing um maybe we need to do a better job on including you in those conversations how does that feel on your end um well kind of like kathy with uh greg my poor husband carl has to listen to me for a long time, kind of talk about El Salvador. And he's never, he's been to Mexico, but he's been, never been to a Central American country. Yeah. So um, he also has, he helps me decompress a bit. And then enough people that I work with, and I, I worked in the same place for 18 years. So they know I go on this trip. And actually my workmates help me a little bit, um, talk about what's been going on. And what we saw, they're always interested in what we ate, where we went, how we got there. So mm -hmm. I would say it's more my my family and my friends that help me kind of get back into the swing of things. Yeah. Cool. I'm 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 glad that you you have a community to share it with. Uh, go for it, Greg. Look like you. Well, yeah. Uh, and and Mary and I have actually texted a couple of times because we we're both while we were there, we were discussing books. You know, what books are we reading? I mean, you try to, you know, uh, I've known Mary and I've known each other for a long time just because of these trips. And so we, we start talking about books. And so we're both in kind of little small book clubs. And so she gave me ideas and I gave her ideas. And so we've kind of texted a couple of times. So it's kind of you get to know people in, in different ways. And so through the power of smartphones or whatever she and I have communicated a couple of times and it's, that's been a lot of fun. And, and I'm reading the book that she recommended. So. Ooh, so there us. we have it. What, what, yeah. what is Excellent. it? It's called a woman of no importance. It's about 
probably the British during World War II, the the British, the 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 best spy that they had in France was actually an American woman and how she set up, you know, all the spy network and was she was tremendous. But be, she was a, a woman and she just kind of flew under the radar. So it's a, it's a fantastic, fascinating nonfiction book. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to have to add that one to my list. Yeah. Uh, and I will say um, this, especially this last group, every group has been very, very inclusive. But I would say this past February was probably the group that that I felt the most. Co- we had a very cohesive group. And yes, I'm I'm not a member of Unity and I'm not in Wisconsin, but I still felt very included. People were very um asking me questions wanting to know about me and my life and it just felt when you're there it's it's not it's not at all clicky it's just everyone is there we all have a common purpose but everyone also supports one another which i very much appreciate yeah i I agree with mary i think this was the best group i mean they've all been great but this was the most cohesive cohesive group it was it was marvelous hey erica as long as we've digressed on this road how about i mean Coming back from two trips, um, uh, I guess I always feel like I I need to decompress a little bit. Or I mean, you're because you know, especially if it is a good group, you know, you build a lot of ties fast, and then all of a sudden you're not together. Uh, how did how did you experience that? I was actually talking to one of my friends about this. Um, it almost kind of feels like a lull when I get back. Yeah. Like, like during the trip, we're so excited and it's, uh, we're going at a hundred miles an hour and there's always things going on and you're always surrounded by people. Like you're never alone. You're sharing a room with people. You're always talking with people. You go upstairs and there's other people. You're on a bus with everyone. And then you come home and you're sitting in your house alone (laughs) and it's just very night and day. So it kind of takes a few days to kind of get back into the swing of things again and take a breath. <laughs> so I always kind of struggle with that a little bit because I'm I, I'm such a people person. I love talking to people. I love hanging out with people. And uh, coming back home, it almost feels like I'm <laughs> like it feels like a lull or like a low that I have to kind of pull myself out of again and be like, okay, be a normal person. <laughs> um, like get back to get back to normal life. And it, that's what keeps me coming back is how much I love, uh, how much I love being there with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No, as, as I've thought about it, uh, that's probably still something that we can work on in our pre-trip orientation is just, how do you kind of stay connected and uh, to kind of anticipate that there is kind of this lull that follows it because you are going, you know, you described it perfectly, Erica, you're going super fast, you're always with people. And then all of a sudden that at least that particular form of it comes to an end and it can be kind of jarring uh, really. And, um, and, but at, at the same time, super normal. And I think something that, you know, people can, can expect to, come up against um mary how about if i come back to you um i don't know you're uh, we we're really blessed by having uh translators from one of the universities in el salvador who are super helpful for those of us who are 
uh, not fluent or only uh, a little bit fluent, but you're uh, in the blessed position of of being uh, fluent in Spanish. And I would imagine that allows you to uh, pick up on the nuance of conversations or feelings. I, I guess you've been going for nine years. El Salvador has been through a lot of changes in that time. And yet at the same time, other things are the same. What have you picked up on from, um, you know, the people of El Salvador in terms of their hope for the future, their, there may be frustration that things aren't changing. I, I don't know what you pick up, but I'd be interested in any impressions you have about any of that. So to me, the El Salvadorian people are incredibly resilient. They will say, yes, life is hard. This is hard. This, the pandemic was hard. Um, things are not going well in certain areas, but then they'll say, but you know, we have to keep, Vamos, vamos adelante. We, we, we keep going forward. We just, they have a lot of hope, a lot of um, things they're struggling with, but it doesn't seem to bog them down that much. And I think too, when we see them, it's kind of like a, a special day. It's a day out of the ordinary for them as well, because they, they come and they're with their neighbors and their family and their kids. And there's all this activity going on so I think they're in a little bit different place as well mm -hmm. and I think they also try to put their best foot forward I know I um, we don't see it as much I didn't see it as much this year but sometimes we see the older ladies and they have their little aprons on mm -hmm. yeah yes. and so they just people um, I think try to present themselves in the best light they can which is understandable I think um the changes that have happened with the, the gangs and putting people in prison. Some people, I had the opportunity to, to talk after church on Sunday with different people in the community at Galilea. And some people were very happy with the situation and some people were, were not so happy. Um, they felt a lot safer on the streets. They, they weren't being um, extortion wasn't going on. They could travel more freely. But the loss of personal freedom was bothersome for some people. I think that's the biggest change that I've seen since coming to El Salvador is the whole the gang situation and what the government has cho chosen to do about it. Right. Yeah, I, I think that certainly lines up with what we've been hearing um, uh, for Listeners on the podcast, the current president was elected three and a half, four years ago, I would say, and instituted a policy which others had also tried in the past, but it has worked out differently this time and has resulted in um, mass incarceration of gang members uh, and kind of uh, the dismissal of a variety of legal rights that were previously available. Uh, so none of that sounds super good, but on the other hand, we hear, I, I guess we've heard from our communities, uh, people can travel so much more freely. And um, on the trip Erica was on in August, we returned to some neighborhoods around Cordero de Dios, uh, which is in Soyapango, which is one of the most heavily 
gang influence areas. We were in some neighborhoods that we haven't been in for years, and that was a result of uh, people feeling as if transit was was safer. And like you said, Mary, that kind of the extortion, which is almost a day-to-day -day thing for people, was not at all present, uh, which is kind of a shocking change. So um, we just keep praying that, uh, that it will head in a uh, good direction. It, it could be very freeing for people or it could be the beginning of a dictatorship. And I don't think we know yet. Um, from, from that very kind of profound uh, uh, state of affairs uh, for people in El Salvador, uh, maybe it's actually, because it's always still always about individual people. So uh, Erica, uh, so you're thinking of a career uh, in the in the larger medical field. Uh, that's one of the reasons he went on this trip and maybe he'll go again in the future. Uh, uh, you started talking about it before. Tell us a little bit more about how this trip uh, impacted your plans for that. And, um, and I guess, you know, where does your faith uh, enter into both your life plan and uh, being part of Mission of Healing. Absolutely. Um, so I currently am taking two years off in between my undergraduate um, degree and then hopefully going to podiatry school. And I I think about this experience that I had almost daily um, because it, I I have a really hard time articulating why it was so impactful to me. Um, but it really was. And it was, um, so I worked uh, while, while I'm not a nurse, I was working in a type of nursing role while we were doing the clinics. And I was working with one of our, um, providers, Sean, and uh, he had gone on this trip the previous year and we saw a patient who had, he had seen her a year ago and then she came back again this year. Um, last year, she had a wound to her lower leg that had kind of been in various stages of healing and getting worse for about 20 years. Um, they had uh, recognized last year that she had diabetes and they had placed her on medications to help her with this, like to help stabilize her blood sugars. And in between the year that uh, she had gone um, in between seeing us, she had seen around 80% um, mm -hmm. healing of that wound. And so Sean was showing me pictures that he took last year of this woman's leg and how really just terrible it looked and how amazing it looked uh, the day that we saw her. And I got to um, clean her wound and dress it. And while I have dressed uh, dozens of wounds, um, it really kind of felt like an honor to me to get to be able to do hers. Um, and I mean, I know Jesus placed um, emphasis on washing, uh, washing people's feet. And it almost kind of felt like a connection to that. Um, and I really felt called to that kind of medicine in that moment so yeah i'll be applying to podiatry school this august and i'm really excited about doing it and i'm really glad that i got to have that experience on this trip to 
get to see that and to um, make these uh, revelations about myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that that's kind of been the thing yeah. that stuck with me and given me the most confidence in some of my decisions going forward about my career. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, revelations about yourself. <laughs> um, some of the best learning we do in life is because other people gift us with their presence and uh, help us to make connections to some of those great biblical stories. Um, how about a couple of each one of these questions could be a podcast in themselves, but maybe we can just treat them as kind of quick hits. Um, Erica, uh, if you do this in under a minute, tell us about evenings okay. on these trips. All right. Evenings in under a minute is difficult. Um, <laughs> I know it so is. Do your best. Evenings evenings are a time to debrief, to go over your days, to do highs and lows with people. They are a time to relax and eat really, really good food. And if you are so lucky as to have Julie Hosley on your trip, they are a time to drink margaritas and beer and um, very interesting new drinks that we found in the liquor department of the grocery store. And uh, they are also a time to pray and to read books and to talk about books and everything in between. So anything that an evening can be an evening is. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always, cause Greg was talking about how, I mean, we're really busy during the day. Uh, yeah. We're tired when we come back and yet invariably the group manages to rally and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Both have some fun together and do some unpacking of the day together. And it's always kind of amazing to me that we do find uh, plenty of energy to keep doing all of that stuff. So Mary, your, your quick hit, this one's even, this one's even more overwhelming. <laughs> um, do you have a thought or two on uh, access to medical care is, is, is sadly not universal in our world. It's not universal in our own country. It's not universal in El Salvador. Um, what have you learned about that over the years? And uh, what does Mission of Healing teach you about what happens when people do have access to medical care? So over the years, they have had more central, central de salud. They have a health center in their little towns, but they're not always open. And if they are open, they might not have medications. And they can only go like one, people can only go once a month. And if you run out of medication because you, they didn't have it the last time you went, then you don't have any medication until the next time they get some. So it's not always an option to buy medication because it's very expensive. Sometimes, I'm not sure about in El Salvador, but I know when I went in Guatemala, many people just buy one or two pills at a time because they can't afford a whole prescription. So they just buy maybe two Tylenol or they buy one high blood pressure medication or maybe you know three metformins and hope they try to stretch it out for their diabetes for the month. So um, there's also a, a different tiered system too. I think there's like general, anyone can go to a general hospital, but generally at a, like a public hospital, they don't have very much. Um, Then there's the next, yeah, the next tier up is people who have, they call it the, it's like social security kind of 
um, they, they, they have a job, they have some type of insurance and they can go there. And then I think there's also private pay, which when I, when I was in Guatemala, a private pay hospital was just like a hospital in the United States, but not many people can afford that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, um, just thinking of my wife, Barb's work at free clinics here in Milwaukee, I mean, Super similar situation in that people can afford some access, but sort of self-ration that over time. And that's you know, an experience that people in El Salvador face as well. Um, and, and that's, all I think, been one of the challenges of Mission of Healing is we're there for a week. Uh, how do we help people there sustain you know, access and care over the other 51 weeks and um, certainly has been a, one of the reasons why we've added more and more education over time. I, I shouldn't say we've added, I think actually our Salvadorian hosts have added that over time and we've been able to, to supplement that. Uh, Greg, your quick hit uh, is what's, um, I don't know, what are maybe one or two things that you could see changing or evolving about the trip in the future? Um, in the future, so, so what has improved significantly is I, I think the fact that we go to communities now instead of one central area has been a tremendous asset. It's, it's really improved what we're able to do. We've got a core group of people who've been going for many years. And so we, we're, we're very efficient with setting up the clinics and running it and whatnot. What I think it would be nice to, to see is the, um, the, the Salvadorans um, kind of taken over more of these roles, um, you know, as you know, the people in their community, uh, you know, um, um, doing administering the the fluoride treatments to everybody in their teeth, uh, them, you know, working with them on on the, you know, finding the right reading glass for, you know, reading glasses for them, um, uh, you know, things along that line. Um, you know, somebody, you know, teaching relaxation exercises or or. Or you know, uh, you know, range of motion things. Um, you know, just having them do a little more of that. What they've told us though over the years, and what you know, Pastor Conchi has said is they they really want to see the American healthcare people. They want us to be doing that, uh, which is which is nice. Which is you know, kind of a pat on our back. But at the same time, it would be nice if the Salvadorans did a little bit more of that because I think they need to take, you know, the responsibility for, for, you know, managing that when for the 51 weeks that we're not there. So I think that, you know, the communities need to kind of jump in and do a little bit more if they can. Um, that's, that's what I would like to see improving. So Mike Gutzeit is in episode two and he mentioned the story of, Oh, I'm forgetting Paula, I think from, uh, yeah. Uh, who grew up in that congregation and now is in nursing school and was a part of the clinic when we were there on, on Monday. Uh, and I, I guess that's kind of the dream, Greg. I mean, and for all of us is that, you know, we've watched her grow up. Um, a couple of years down the road, she will be in a position to, to do some of that. Um, but she's grown up in a neighborhood where the idea of even going to high school 10 years ago was not in the imagination, but we hung in there, she hung in there, scholarships hung in there and it changed things. Mary. Same with uh, the Galilea community, Edwin. 
who I have known Edwin for the last yeah, 10 yeah. years or so. Yep. And he's now a nurse. He came back. He was so happy to be there and be part of the, the mission of healing that day in his community. And he, I think also through scholarships, he's now practicing as a nurse, but he came back and he wanted to give back to the community. So another success story. Yep. We'll pray bit by bit that, that that's how it goes. Well, we are reaching our end. And I think the, the best way for us to draw to a close is if each of you would be willing to just share, I don't know, an experience or a memory or something that uh, uh, you carry with you as a part of this trip, uh, either this year's trip or if you've been previously, perhaps it comes from a previous time, but um, just one of the ways the trip has, has blessed you in some ongoing way. Greg, do you wanna take a shot at being the first one to go on that? Yeah, I can. And you, you took mine already with Paola, you know. That oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. That's okay. Oh. So I, I had another one. Um, um, I have gotten to know several of the interpreters over the years, which has been I mean, a wonderful experience for me. You know, I'm now on WhatsApp with them and communicate with them regularly. You know, Emerson and uh, uh, Saul and uh, Renee. This year, you know, I really connected with Renee frequently. And I was sort of distraught that he's riding a motorcycle. And if you've been to El Salvador and you watch the people on the motorcycles, they're they're weaving in and out of traffic. And so I, I, I think, you know, I was able to connect with him or I hope I could and just kind of talk with him about safety. And, you know, but it, it's so fun to see these interpreters as they've grown over the years and 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 they're all young adults now and i, I didn't realize renee is in his 30s i think you know so it's it's just like oh okay so i mean it, it's been you get to know people and it's just it's wonderful to see them move along just like mike mentioned paola you know going on to nursing school yeah there's hope for the youth in the in the in el salvador yeah. they're there as we always said they are the they are the next leaders well said Erica, what, how about you? Um, yeah, I was, uh, the interpreters have always been one, both times, they've been one of my favorite parts of the trip. Um, I mean, me being in my 20s, usually, or they are all roughly my age as well. And so it's really fun to get to meet people in a completely different part of the world who are in the same kind of part of their life that you are. And I, I mean, I'm still good friends with them. I like we're friends on social media, so I get to kind of see what they're up to. And it's, it's really, um, while I didn't think that we were that different, it's funny that it's always, um, like hammered in how similar we all are and how they're complaining about whatever test they're studying for. And, <laughs> and they're, upset over their soccer team losing and and we get to talk about that and it's i i love getting to have those friends who are so different yet so the same as me <laughs> and so i really love that i get to that i got to meet them and that i still get to keep in touch with them yeah that's the that's super cool i mean you know we couldn't keep in touch anything the way you can nowadays and that you know just leads to great relationships over time. Mary, I'll give you the last word. So I met some women from Rogelio Grande 
we met them at Cordeo de Dios, and then I saw them again the next day. And these women were dynamic, they were funny, and that's where I felt so blessed that I could communicate with them in Spanish. And they were trying to teach me dance moves, they invited me home with them, but little did I realize they got up at three in the morning. So I was I was just as happy not to go and stay overnight in Rotilio Grande, but we've also kept in touch on social media and they're just wonderful, wonderful women. And that was just a joy to meet them and to interact, to interact with them. Yeah. Very cool. There are, that should be another one of our podcasts at some point, meeting the people of Rotilio Grande, because that's, that's a very unique community. And yeah. what you experience from three of them is what that whole community is like. And it's, it's, very remarkable. I've I've never seen anything uh, like it or experienced their capacity for welcome and for fun, Mary. They they do know how to have a good time, which is a cool they thing. They certainly seems like it. Uh, well, um, I'm so appreciative of the three of you for having been a part of Mission of Healing and for taking time to talk about it uh, with anybody who's listening to this podcast. If you've been listening in on this one and have not heard uh, episodes one and two of Mission of Healing, I'd encourage you to listen into them on um, SoundCloud or on Apple iTunes or Apple uh, Podcasts. And I'm just glad that you've been a part of this experience. And as we constantly reflect on what it means to be Jesus people and you know how we talk to each other, how we spend our time, and where we put our resources, and um, we just are constantly learning from each other, whether from Wisconsin, Minnesota, or El Salvador. And I think that's part of the beauty of it because the spirit of God is every place and doing powerful work. So uh, thank you for having been a part of Belief Pete. Goodbye for now.